ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Wednesday, we bring energy, we bring fire. That's all we know how to do on Hard to Paint when we bring in the Dome Patrol. Hey. Two men, no hair, none. All states. <laughs> <laughs> Not a now nutter. <laughs> <laughs> and if we had hair, we might have lost it Sunday night um, with the Saints. Not that I would. Out, you ain't pulling out black folk hair. No, that's not happening. <laughs> that's not a good look. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> but you would have driven me to to lose it. Yes. Um, and you know, so and Ross and I, our boldness spreads from different places. He's front, that's I'm true. back. That's so true. my back, I, I would have opened up an entire George Jefferson <laughs> in my back hair, in the back of my head. <laughs> but oh, it's man. not all bad. Now, the critiques do continue. The Saints 1 and 2, of course. The critiques do continue. This morning on ESPN, um, Jeff Saturday, uh, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame center for the Colts, and Marcus Spears, former LSU player, Dallas Cowboy, you mm-hmm. know, um, they broke it down, and they were quite honest. And the biggest point they made is it's not just going downfield. Drew right. Brees, his <laughs> accuracy numbers – that you see the completion percentage are not reflective of his true accuracy this season. He has been much more inaccurate with his throws than he has been in the past. And their other point, which I also agree with is, and there's no denying that the loss of Mike Thomas is huge. Mm -hmm. He is the focal point of the receiving core at the very least. We know Alvin Kamara is just as talented a receiver in different ways, but On the outside, Mike Thomas is number one mm-hmm. in the league. Guess that's an impact. But the other quarterbacks have adapted to not having true number one options. Mm-hmm. And Drew Brees has not done that um, this year. We both think he can turn it around. But we also think it's time that the Saints, I think, and I, to see what you, your reaction is, I think it's also time for the Saints to come to the reality of he's not Drew Brees from even two years ago. Right. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely right. I, and, you know, we both trust that he can turn it around, but even in talking about turning it around, it's a bit of a different definition than what we're accustomed to even still answers of what we're used to seeing from Drew Brees. We've said over the past couple of weeks that the concern for us is not that Drew Brees doesn't push the ball down the field. It's that this offense with Drew Brees has not been able to be efficient where they're usually the most efficient in the NFL, which is short intermediate. He's completing the passes, as you mentioned, but a lot of them are outside of frame. They're late. They're behind receivers. They're too far in front of receivers. Receivers are having to make extended catches, things like that, or having to fight for balls. He's not throwing receivers open. Those are things that we're used to seeing from Drew Brees. Now, I can't blame not having a preseason on that because your breeze usually doesn't throw very much during the preseason in the first place. Maybe threw eight passes in the preseason. Right, right. So by this point of the season, he has thrown more than enough for where we usually see him pick up his proficiency or pick up his efficiency uh, in the season. So at this point, I can't blame preseason. You might be able to go back to no minis, no OTAs, things like that. But even to an extent, like, he was throwing a ton during 
the during training camp. He took his days off. He's been throwing a ton during the practice week as well, from what, what I'm understanding. And so all of it's there in terms of his preparation. And the continuity is there with the, right. with the players. It's the same offense by and large. The, the, the strategies haven't changed. The personnel isn't different for the most part. So it's those things aren't factors either right. as much as they could be. Yeah, the only new piece in terms of targets on that offense right now is Emmanuel Sanders. And then you might say Adam Troutman for a couple of games, particularly after Jared Cook went out with his injury. But even still, like having Emmanuel Sanders to throw to when last year and for the last two years, three years, your option was to throw to Ted Ginn Jr. Or Josh Hill. Or Josh Hill, right? Like you've you're fine. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So it, it's interesting to watch it because again, like the issue is that the accuracy is off. The pinpoint placement is off. The ball placement is weird. It was better week three than it was week two. And I talked a lot about how this week three game was going to be just as much about the saints versus the Packers as it was about the saints versus the saints, right? Week three saints versus week two saints. We'll see the same thing. Week four, week four saints have to be better than week three saints. And when it comes to the question marks about Drew Brees, I think that they're, I think they're justified. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I don't think necessarily that the question marks have to end with the answer being, oh, Drew Brees needs to get benched and they need to roll out another quarterback. Like, you're not going to do that in this scenario while you still think you can win games. We have to understand that the, the sort of maybe best comparison as of late would be Daniel Jones starting over, uh, over Eli Manning and then benching Eli Manning. But they also were in a place where they were reserved not to win. They knew that they weren't going to be competitive in their division. And they, you can't compare Eli and, right. at that point. His performance for they, they had missed the playoffs five or five, six straight years. Exactly. And Eli's interceptions, he was giving games away, 20 interceptions right. a season. Yes. It's not Drew Brees in that regard. Exactly. So it's not the same thing. Like, it's just simply not the same thing. Like, you're going to see the Saints roll with Drew Brees essentially until and maybe beyond the, fact, the time that they're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Like, that might be the only times where you see them say, okay, we need to get a look at these other quarterbacks. There's nothing left to play for for the season. That would be the only scenario in which I could see the Saints saying, we're going to bench. And it wouldn't even be about benching Drew Brees. You would just probably see more of the other two quarterbacks would be all, you know what I mean? So they can get a good look at who they have after Drew Brees. But to think that life after Drew Brees is set up very well because of what we just talked about with Michael Thomas being the number one option. Alvin Kamara is playing an incredible, he, he's wildly incredible right now. I don't even know how to say it. I'm speechless about him sometimes. He's been ridiculous. Can he maintain it? Can he maintain the health? That's going to be a bit because he's being leaned on quite a bit now without Michael Thomas. You have to imagine that that's going to kind of peter down a little bit just in terms of how many, how many targets he's getting and, and therefore how many hits he's taking and things like that once Michael Thomas comes back. But you also see the game maybe opening up for him a little bit more when Michael Thomas comes back too because now you have to focus your defense to Michael Thomas. You can't just focus your defense like the Packers did in the second half to the run game to where they started loading the box and things like that, which – Alvin Kamara clearly had no problem with <laughs> in terms of the, uh, the receiving game, at least. But when you look at the weapons and the pieces that they have, life after Drew Brees is set up, which they're not set up for right now, is being without Drew Brees at this moment or being with a different version of Drew Brees. So it's about figuring out throughout these first four games of the season, what are the limitations that we're facing? This probably wasn't the intent coming into the year. Don't get me wrong. But now that they're in this place, it is a bit of an evaluation period. What are our limitations and how do we build an offense around that for the next 12 games? And I think that that's maybe what we're seeing 
depending upon the type of performance we see week four against the Lions. You know, the, the thing with Alvin Kamara, too, is um, one of the analogies that I've been using is his situation right now reminds me a lot of Marshall Falk pre-Peyton Manning, mm, where, mm-hmm. you know, asked to do everything. You know, there was right. no Marvin Harrison yet. There was no, um, you know, right. all those things. The pressure was on him to create just about every bit of offense. And that's essentially, you know, you can look at the 300 yards and say Drew Brees put up numbers, but those are Alvin Kamara yards. I looked at nothing into yeah. something. <laughs> right. I looked at his yardage. He's got 285, 245, somewhere around there. I'm sorry. I can't remember the exact number. I'm going to say 245 receiving yards on the season, somewhere around there. But only one of them before catch. It's 244 yards after the catch. And he's average, his average target is behind the line of scrimmage. We saw last season his yards before catch for the entire season was like minus 24 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And so it's huge. Like that piles up, of course, but when you look at averages, it's different. It's like 0.4, 0.3 yards per game, but it's strange like to see that. And that's what Alvin Kamara is being asked to do right now, especially with Michael Thomas, not in the game. And thankfully the saints have a really good ability to block on the perimeter. Michael Thomas, of course, coming back also helps with that. So I don't think you're going to see the end of that when it comes to Michael Thomas's return, but I think you're going to see the balance strike a little bit better and probably create a more favorable situation for Alvin Kamara in terms of his longevity over the season. Because if Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are going to be tasked with generating the offense for the entire season, which looks like that might be likely unless maybe Drew Brees and Jared Cook get back in their rhythm or this sort of I'll use the analogy of a floodgate opening when it comes to Emmanuel Sanders. He scores a touchdown at the end of the first half against Green Bay, and all of a sudden he's got, you know, he finishes the day with five catches and over 50 yards. That feels like around what you should expect from him for the most part. I mean, having less than 50 catches this season would be a surprise to me. And so maybe you see. He He gets 60 catches every year. Right, right. And so that's that's what you want to see from him. But I still think that the majority of your offense, for the most part, is going to be generated by those two players. And having Michael Thomas back would be helpful, obviously, in making that happen, but also in just alleviating some of the pressure on Alvin Kamara, who's playing a fantastic brand of football right now. And I think, you know, it's only three games in, but I'm already calling him Offensive Player of the Year, at least at this point, in terms of being the guy that's there. But, I mean, he's, he's been absolutely outstanding so far. And, and that's even without getting the necessary touches as a runner. Right. Um, you know, the most we saw him, I think if the Saints had not played so poor defensively, he was on his way to probably having a 150 game on the ground. Right. Um, you know, he was just stacking up yards. He had some great runs, individual runs in that first half in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think as a receiver, the big thing with, the, you know, when you saw how the, the greatest show on turf utilized the Martian, Marshall Falker, even as Edron James took that spot – um, afterwards, right. mm-hmm. it was key to get them above, uh, you know, ahead of the line of scrimmage. And like you said, with Alvin Kamara, we're going steady backwards yep. with this um, is where he's catching the ball. If you can get him in those one-in-one situations, the thing we worry about with his injuries is getting those hits behind the line from defensive linemen, from getting right. hits behind the line from linebackers who are keyed on him. You want him to get those matchups with linebackers in space or yes. with secondary players. You can't have him taking huge shots on the barrier because the pass is is so far behind the line of scrimmage and we're starting to see them be late when they go outside as well that yep. was a big thing especially you know, there was almost a pick six in the second half because mm-hmm. breeze is low slow to the outside yeah and we saw another one too to take some hill on a bubble screen i think it was a third and one or a third and two maybe that only went for one yard to take some hill because the placement was too high 
And so if you, so when you're running that bubble screen, you have three receivers on the outside and you have the one that curls from the outside to underneath to catch that screen route. You want those other two blockers to be able to engage and then get there and then catch the ball and then immediately start to move forward or catch the ball in on rhythm. That, on that run. You know run. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And instead, Taysom had to jump, catch it, land, turn, and then go. And by, the, by that time, you had one of the inside guys that was able to come in and make the play at that point or somebody to be able to – it gives them time to shed the, the blocker up front. But if he's able to just catch it in stride and then put his shoulder down into the back of a blocker or into one of those, uh, one of those corners, he's got a first down there. So that's another example of it was a completed pass, but how the lack of accuracy played into the end of a drive, essentially, because the Saints after that had to come out and punt. Um. The usage of Taysom Hill has been a point of contention as well, Um, especially amongst fans once he fumbled. Um, (laughs) We've seen it. The touches have just been down. The situations where he's been utilized don't seem to benefit him right now. He's not being – it seems like, you know, there was always a sense of he was going downhill. Most right. of the time, downhill. Even when you, as a receiver, it was downhill, um, getting into those spaces and gaps. I was surprised to see him catch a bubble screen. That was not yeah. the guy that I would ever have yeah. drawn up. A, you know, that's something that I think, oh, Deontay Harris is catching a bubble screen. Emmanuel Sanders would be catching a bubble screen, not Taysom Hill. I don't view him as the kind of elusive guy right. who does it. He's a power guy in my mm-hmm. mind. Uh, he's got speed, of course, but he's not shifty. I don't view him as that kind of guy who makes people miss. Yeah, he doesn't view himself that way. He would rather run through you. Like, that's what so, he wants to it's do. It's just, I, I, I have not understood the usage. It, are are mm-hmm. they, what do you think the coaching staff is trying to figure out? Because you have, now you, you're trying to get this rhythm for Drew, but you have to justify your, your usage for, for Taysom Hill. And then you're also not generating big plays in the offensive game. And, and it's clear to me the defense is no now when Taysom comes in. Like, the, the mystery is gone. Right. Yeah, and I think that they haven't helped themselves with the way that they've used him so far this season. I mean, they put him behind the line of scrimmage at quarterback five times. He's run all five times. He was there as a primary passer once, and he ended up scrambling away instead of throwing a pretty a open, wide route. open throw. wide open route that was there in the middle of the field. So it's a routine, routine play. And we're not talking about 50 yards down the field to Deontay Harris. We're talking about over the middle to a shorthanded, I believe it was Emmanuel Sanders, in the middle of the field, 15 yards, That's 10 yards. a basic yards. rhythm throw. Simple, simple. Bop. Like it's the rhythm that you work on in practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that you hit on walkthroughs, you know what I mean? As you move forward. But here's one of the things that I looked at too. You mentioned that the usage feels very different and you're, you're absolutely right on that. You look at, I looked at the first three games of 2020 so far in terms of his touches. And then the first three games that he played a full game from start to finish with, I'm sorry, a full game with a start to finish Drew Brees. So the first game of the season and then the Cardinals game in the following game last year. Six, six, I'm sorry, nine touches, three games there, three games here. Same thing in terms of Russian pass, Russian uh, reception. But the difference is that this year, seven rushes for 27 yards, two catches for 15 yards, no touchdowns. Last year in those first three games, start to finish with Drew Brees, three rushes for 19 yards, six receptions for 75 yards and two touchdowns. They have reversed sort of the way that they're producing with him, which inherently is happening because they're lining him up at quarterback a little bit more. And he's making those decisions to run as opposed to throw. And a lot of people have been asking, is it predetermined whether or not he's supposed to keep the ball or he's supposed to run? It is not. He has the, he has the freedom to make those decisions. If it's open, throw it. If it's not run, if it's, you know, if your key defender halts, 
hand the ball off. If your key defender bites down on Alvin Kamara, run the ball. Like all the, the things that you're used to seeing in terms of, you know, decision-making and everything in the quarterback, he has all those options available to him. They're not limiting him in that way. They're not predetermining his stuff. And so the, with the way that they've been utilizing him so far in, in terms of keeping him mostly behind center has been dictating his usage and keeping him essentially ineffective in a way, because what we're used to seeing him is catching the ball in stride and then being able to use his momentum to power him forward, make plays, run those switch routes and things like that. We saw a great route from him in the, I want to say it was week two to where he had to, he yes. ran that clear out route for um, Josh Hill. Maybe I can't remember who it was, but he ran it out. Oh, it was the Adam Troutman catch. It was the Adam. Yes. Troutman oh, yeah. Catch. Yeah. 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 He had to run. He ran a fantastic route there. So, you know, he still has it, you know, he still does it. There's nothing about his performance that's dictating, Oh, well, we're not going to use him in the passing game anymore. They've just simply shifted his usage so far. And I think you're right. They're trying to justify. They're probably trying to justify how much they paid him. They're trying to get a look at him as a quarterback, which I don't think you can do right now because you're not in a comfortable enough situation to do that. Taking my issue with the fumble, for instance, was not just, I mean, there was the fact that he fumbled, but it wasn't really anything about Taysom Hill for me. It wasn't a good play call. Why are you taking Drew Brees off the field on a second and two on the 41 when you can you know, you know, take a shot, right? Which would be his version but of taking a shot 15 yards down the field. Shot, but you've shown yeah, you, you just can had, run the football against right, the You show, right. and it's two yards on second down. Why? Exactly right. Exactly right. You've got Latavius Murray, who just ran eight yards on the previous play. He just bruised up a bunch of people right there. And then the other part of it, too, is that it's also evident in that play that if, if Taysom doesn't keep that ball, Alvin Kamara did a great job bouncing outside and then getting around. So if he's able to hand the ball off and then fool the key defender, which is what would usually happen in an option ride anyway, an option run like that anyway. We've talked about over and over again with this team. is Right. That's okay. Yeah. Alvin Kamara would have been would have been able to do it. So just hand the ball off to Alvin Kamara on a second and two. Or if you're going to put Taysom Hill in there, in a position to where you feel like you're able to take a shot, then just take the shot. Don't be timid with him. If you want to see what he's going to do, let him give him the opportunity to show you what he's going to do. But because he was timid in throwing the ball the first time, I imagine that that was a part of that play call. And then this is another part where Michael Thomas factors in because if Michael Thomas is available, Drew Brees is on that field. That is a second and two slant route, really quick, easy, or an out route or whatever it is that he runs in that moment to just pick up that first down and keep the drive, to keep the drive going because you just forced a turnover on downs. You want to keep that momentum moving forward. And then instead you turn the ball over two plays later because you put the ball in the hands of, I'm not going to talk ill of Taysom Hill in that moment, but no, you take the, let, me say, to... let me say that you, you take the ball out of your Hall of Fame quarterback's hands. That's, that was the issue for me. And you're all pro running backs too. Right. You don't yes. make that the option you have right. these these players who are better at getting those yards. And it's, mm-hmm. not, again, not a knock on hate Taysom, but he right. is a utility player in this regard. And you didn't need a utility play. Like I said, either you take the shot. Right. If you're going to use him, use him what you've used him for. You can't ask him. I don't think it's, 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 it's fair to ask him to make reads when he has not been in game situations and that's always been his problem is not enough reps against actual defenses to put him in a critical situation like that in a game you you really feel like we need these wins yep and and i think i think i think the saints as much as the other errors that we'll get into the mental errors there were those strategic errors yes hurt them as well and so sean payton has to look at himself in the mirror yeah. again and say what am i doing right and what am i doing wrong and 
let's change some of these things. I can't be stubborn week to week. Yeah. I think his play calling was better week, week three than it was week two. It was also a very low bar to try to, to, to improve upon. Don't get me wrong, but and a there was still defense that, that was set up in a right. lot of ways to, for them to take advantage of. Yes, absolutely. Like we talked about everything having in terms of where, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more too, because next week they have a nice matchup as well. But the thing about it is that where the play calls were bad, they were very bad. And I think that's the thing, right? It was a quality over quantity type of, of conversation and that the bad quality might have exceeded that of the bad quantity. Um, and if you're, if you're decision-making behind not allowing Taysom, not putting Taysom Hill in there to just take a shot in prime shot territory, again, second and two, on the opponent 41 and plus territory, you take a shot down the field. Usually that's, that's what that game, that game situation is. But if you were, if you had an issue with his decision-making the first time that you put the ball in his hand under center, then don't give him the ball and put him in a position on second and two to where he's got to make like three different decisions at once. You know what I mean? If you're worried about the decision-making in that, in that moment, you don't want him throwing the ball, then put him in there to hand the ball off. Simple. Or He's do a, a rollout, get him right. moving and say, there's one option here. You right. know, if it's not there, run. And Troutman underneath or, or Kamara underneath and say, you got one look. If it ain't there, either throw it away or yep. and if the run is not, or, or take the run. But at right. least then you've got him on the outside instead of basically going right into the line. Right. All right, let's um, quickly, let's evaluate the offensive line mm-hmm. um, and their performance. Again, uh, Andres Pete, it's it's not his fault. I, 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 it's, we know not, it's not. It's not. But a still, up, but it's just him on the cart is not a surprise. Right. It, it stinks, man. Like I, you want the guy, you want the guy to do well. You know what I mean? Everybody that criticizes Andres Pete would have no problem with seeing him play a full sixteen games, being healthy, and putting together good tape. Like no one would be disappointed by that. You know what I mean? And so to see him end up on the cart again like that, and and the early diagnosis reportedly is a high ankle sprain. So we're not talking about a season ending injury or anything like that, but we're talking about yet another injury that will keep him out for multiple games. So it stinks. It stinks. It, it, it stinks because you want to see him on the field, earning his money. You want him to prove you wrong. And at the same time, it stinks because for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's an, I told you so moment, but it's a, it's a, I'm not surprised moment for a lot of people. Larry Warford ain't surprised. Larry Warford is not surprised. I'm like, I told you. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, um, the Saints put Caesar Ruiz in at 10 minutes and 32 seconds left in the second quarter. The left guard, the Andrews Pete injury happened at 12 seconds left in the second quarter. So a good 10 minutes before that, they made the decision to put Caesar Ruiz in. The reason why I bring that up and the reason why that's important is because they were ready to see Caesar Ruiz. It wasn't that he went in when Andrews Pete got hurt, which was right. a necessity thing. They wanted to see him out there and he performed really well, particularly in the passing game. He had a couple of little misses in the run game, which I think you have to expect for a rookie that played mostly power run. Then all of a sudden you put him in a situation to where he's running zone reads, he's taking read steps, he's blocking by gap as opposed to player assignment, things like that. That's his very first game doing that at an NFL level against interior defensive linemen that, which is a position that is not cultivated in college, but is very talented in the NFL. And so you you excuse a little bit of the, the struggles in the run game, even though they were few and far between. I mean, there was only a couple of moments in terms of what I saw on the tape. But yeah, they ran the ball for the most part. Really well still, yeah. And the thing about that is that Alvin Kamara, who averaged 4.9 yards per carry so far this season, has been getting three of them before contact, which means that the offensive line is resetting the line of scrimmage. They're doing a very good job in the run Again, game. though, 
We've but, talked about this. Yeah. Is that we knew this line was suited to right. play power. Everybody on it. Ryan Ramchek is a power blocker. Mm-hmm. Teron Armstead, power. Cesar Ruiz, power. You built the only finesse guy was Andrews Pete. Right. So you built a power line. Exploit it. Use it. Right, right. And I think that a big part of that, a big part of not being able to exploit, a big part of not being able to use it so far this season has come down to the defense. The defense is not putting them in situations. Like they came in to the top of the second half with a lead, 17 or 13. They continued to run the ball, but then the defense started to fall apart. And then the one time that the defense does its job, they go to run the ball, but then they try to be tricky about it and then they fumble the damn thing. So it's like, it's, it's a weird, it's, it's tough. And in the second half, they started loading the box a lot more, which also deterred them from going with the run game. But then they started passing the ball to Alvin Kamara in space and, and which, you know, an extension of the run game, doing those types of things, which still worked, but they were still at that point then playing from behind by the time that they got back into rhythm because they scored on four straight possessions, mm-hmm. got in the red zone, scored on four straight possessions, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal, or whatever the order was, two touchdowns, two field which goals. Which is also something too, though, quick, is last yeah. year and, and what we've seen, third down and red zone, these are not the same Saints. Exactly right. Yeah, you want to see them continue to extend drives, You want, which they did okay this week. Uh, two plays of 11, I'm sorry, two drives of 11 plays, one drive of 12 plays. But outside of that, you saw some of those three and outs. You saw a three and out to open the game. You saw a three and out in the third possession. You saw a three and out after the fumble, which was huge because then you've only got five plays run over the course of those two drives and a turnover in those five plays, which is not great. And then you had a short pass to Alvin Kamara, a short pass to Alvin Kamara, and then a short pass to Deontay Harris. None of those passes going beyond the first down marker, which is another part of the conversation that we were having earlier is the decision-making portion by Drew Brees has been a little off. We're not seeing him put the ball ahead of the first down marker. We're watching him on third down, throw the ball four or five yards behind the first down marker and hoping that his receivers can turn it into something. And obviously he's taking what he can get. He's not trying to force passes down the field, but sometimes you got to force it. Like sometimes you got to be willing to do it. And then we've seen that. Right. And right. like to, to just wrap that, the 15-yard throw, mm-hmm. you know, down the middle of the field, he put everything he had into it. His whole ass was in that throw. And, and then you watch the two-minute drill, and it took so long. You knew you needed two scores. The field goal is always the first one. I hate when teams go for the touchdown. Don't go for the touchdown to start. The field yeah. goal. You have Will Lutz. You are confident in him. As soon as you get into the range, kick the field goal, onside kick, try to get the second score. Yep, they didn't do that, but it also took incredibly long for them to get in a field goal position because they couldn't get throws that were far enough to the outside to get out of bounds. They couldn't get throws downfield enough to get quick yardage and, and have yep. somebody. It was a methodical two-minute drive. Right. Yeah, and you can't have that. You can't have that. Like, you have to be able to be efficient. And usually we see Drew Brees do that. I mean, we saw Drew Brees, We And, in fact, we did see Drew Brees do that in a two-minute drive to close out the first half. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But the difference, I guess the difference is like the coverage, the coverage was very shell. The coverage left the middle of the field wide open. The coverage took there. away, he took away the uh, perimeter and everything. And so during that last two minute drive, he didn't have any choice but to go over the middle. And then it was, you know, you're rushing to get the offense down there and everything like that. So I see all of that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you still wonder a little bit about the moments outside of the two minute drills to where we're used to seeing him fit passes into tight windows. We used to always talk about that. Oh, Drew Brees, what a pinpoint throw. If it's down a tight window, only Drew Brees could make that throw, blah, blah, blah. We're not seeing that right now. And I'm not saying that we won't see it. I'm just saying it's a big part of what we're not seeing in this game right now. Yep. 
Uh, let's go to the defensive side. Um, still more penalties. Uh, still more um, missed assignments. Yeah. Sean Payton basically saying they look like a high school defense out there at times. Um, I don't think Dennis Allen is in trouble, mm. but certainly there's some examination about schemes, where he's placing people, and there are a lot of questions for, in particular, a guy like Cam Jordan, who is being hard on himself, but he again, it doesn't matter how hard you are on yourself. People want to see it on Sundays. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's fair. I think that the one thing we have to keep into consideration when it comes to Cam Jordan is the, um, the, the surgery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the surgery. Yeah. Well, yeah, the surgery over the, over the offseason in particular. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be on the field, then you have to produce. If you're not well enough to be on the field, then don't be on the field. If you're not well enough to produce, then don't be on the field. And, and there's some truth to that. But it's as Sheldon Rankins described last year when it came to the Achilles injury and coming back from it, there comes a point in the rehabilitation process where the only thing left to do is get out on the field and get in rhythm. That's the only option that you have. There's no more rehabbing in the facility. There's no more stretches. There's no more exercises. It's just now you have to get out there and figure out what it's like to play again. And I think that that's where Cam Jordan is. I think Cam Jordan, I have probably, this is going to be kind of strange to say, but I do believe it. I have more confidence that Cam Jordan's game will get corrected than I have confidence that Drew Brees' game will get corrected. That's not to say that I don't have confidence in Drew Brees. It's just that my confidence in Cam Jordan is that high, that he'll be fine. And I think, Cam, and I think you, you, know, you mentioned Marcus Davenport. I think having Marcus Davenport helps because, look, Trey Hendrickson, a lot of people will look at the sack numbers over the first two, over the first two games in particular. We've talked about that before, too. Is don't just look at the d- – right. <laughs> Right. Because you, you see what you're seeing from Trey Hendrickson are flashes. You're not seeing prolonged productivity. And what I mean by that is that you're not seeing several pressures per game. You're seeing a couple of pressures in a sack, a couple of pressures in a sack. And that's all you're seeing. You're not seeing, you know, five pressures. You're not seeing five hurries. You're not seeing three hits on the quarterback. You're not seeing them get their hands on a guy like Aaron Rodgers and making him uncomfortable. Aaron Rodgers ran 17 play action passes in this game. 17 play action passes in this game. And, and was and, comfortable. And mad comfortable. And a lot of, and a few of them, let me not say a lot of them, a few of them, more than a handful of them were boot action, you know, were bootleg plays and stuff, which the Saints could not defend at all and struggled insanely against. And that alleviates pressure. That alone, it doesn't matter if your offensive line is bad. It doesn't matter what your offensive line looks like at that point. That play, that boot action immediately alleviates pressure for a quarterback that's mobile and that can get outside the pocket and throw and give him time to plant his feet and throw as well. So I think all of that has to be taken into consideration with the way that we're watching Cam Jordan's game develop in that I think that he does get better over this time. I don't know what his sack numbers look like at the end of the season. To be completely honest with you, I don't really care don't what his sack numbers look like because, again, if you look at them having 50 sacks last season, that's great. But they also ran you know, over 400, 500, however many defensive plays. So the fraction in which a sack actually affects a game is different. It, it's not, it doesn't really matter. If you get – I would rather a team get – 20 sacks on third down throughout a season than 50 sacks on first and second down. Yeah. Let's like, just as a quick thing for fans who may not be as old as you and I, mm-hmm. but a Lawrence Taylor season with 20 sacks in the eighties mm-hmm. because of the number of dropbacks were so dramatically different. I mean, you're right. talking about maybe 250 fewer dropbacks per quarter and some more right. than that per season right. 
in the 80s. So you weren't seeing that. So a percentage, the sack percentage of total dropbacks is much less important now. Pressures are way more important now than right. they were. Because right. pressures are, like you said, it has to be consistent pressure throughout a game. A sack does not necessarily turn the tide of a game as much as it did 10, 20 years ago. Right, right. And the, one of the things that we're seeing from the Saints is that for, I believe it's now two weeks in a row, their entire sack total is happening in the first quarter. All three sacks in the Raiders game came in the first quarter. I'm fairly sure that Demario Davis's sack in the, the Packers game yep. came in the first quarter as well. And then after that, you don't see it anymore. And so I think that that's the other part of it is that a sack can turn the tide of a game. It can. If it, if it happens to where you're down three points, you need to get the ball back and you make a stop with three minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game. It's all situational. Yep. And I think that that's the thing that really matters. It's the quality over quantity conversation. You can, get fifth, you, can, you can get five sacks in the first quarter, but if you go into halftime tied up at 20-20, how much of a damn difference has that made for you at all, right? And then by that time, the mentality is different for the quarterback who might have been a little scared over the first quarter that, oh, they're coming. But in the second quarter, all of a sudden, sees absolutely no pressure and puts points up on the board, which is what we've been seeing for these last couple of weeks. And I think the other part of it too, like just to go back to the LT uh, anecdote, is that LT didn't just force sacks, he forced fumbles. He forced turnovers. And we don't see that from Saints pass rushers. The only Saints pass rusher you really see that from is Marcus Davenport, who hasn't been on the field for the first three games of the season. Cam Jordan doesn't force a lot of sacks. I'm sorry, doesn't force a lot of fumbles when he gets those sacks. Yeah, and that was the um, – and to use the Dome Patrol, mm-hmm. that's what Swilling and Jackson right. did. Yeah. Ricky Jackson is in the top five all-time in fumble recoveries for mm-hmm. a reason – Pat Swilling was a great stripper of the ball on that when coming around to get the quarterback. And that is technique. That is something you work on, on your hand placement, how you chop down or whether you punch up. Those are all things you have to work on as a pass rusher. Yep. And that's not to say anything ill or bad about Cam Jordan. It's just that that's not as much a part of his game. That's one of the reasons why Marcus Davenport is important. I know a lot of people play down the importance of Marcus Davenport when you see Trey Hendrickson get sacks. And that's great. Trey Hendrickson had two sacks, but what else? You know what I mean? And that's where Marcus Davenport comes in handy because Marcus Davenport is somebody that has shown that he'll produce deep into a game. He's shown that he can show up on third downs and he's shown that he can force turnovers. And I think that those are three things that the Saints really, really need right now on the defensive line. And occupy blockers. Yes. There are times where you have to send another person to deal with Marcus Davenport. People aren't doing that with Trey Hendrickson. Mm -mm. It's just no. not happening. You, if you're worried about tight ends and, and the, the Saints secondary defending tight ends, it's a lot harder to affect a team with a tight end if you have to keep that tight end into block. And it's no surprise that one of the big games that Saints saw, that the, the biggest games that the Saints saw against tight ends at the end of last year were immediately after Marcus Davenport was injured because you saw what, a huge game out of George Kittle, but you were going to see a huge game out of George Kittle no matter what. But then you also saw a huge game out of like John o. Smith out of uh, Tennessee. And it was because they didn't have to give up another receiving option because you needed a double team on Cam Jordan on the other side. And then you needed a double team or a chip on Marcus Davenport on the other side. They didn't have to worry about that anymore. You were just able to block whoever was on the edge on the opposite side. They weren't going to win their singles. And you had that for running backs. Mm -hmm. You had that confidence. And so that was a big part of, you know, a lot of people talking about, Oh, well, the Saints defense was much better against tight ends and running backs at the backfield last year than this year. They deteriorated toward the end of the year. And that's a big, 
portion, big reason why is because it caused disruption in the passing game, not just in terms of disrupting the quarterback's timing or anything like that, but routes were delayed because people had to stay in to chip. People had to stay in to block. Let's transition to Detroit mm-hmm. because if, if the saints are going to get well defensively, um, this is an opportunity. Yep. And so let's talk about them. There's something that you wanted to transition with. So let's, let's do that. And then we'll get into these numbers on the line. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be looking down because I have to read this. Yeah. I can't remember. All Go this. Ahead. I, got, uh, I got a lot of stuff too <laughs> that I had to write down. <laughs> um, so I, I reached out to uh, some good friends and got some thoughts on uh, coverages and things like that. We also saw Nick Underhill in one of his recent articles over at New Orleans.football talk about where the Saints have struggled the most. And please, in terms oh, look, of please support yeah. Nick Underhill. Yes. For God's sake, it's please. Go, if you love go, the Saints, it's cheap. And Nick writes great stuff. Right. Go check him out. Yes, please. Um, thank you for that. I'm glad that we were able to throw that in there. Um, but so Nick was talking about how the Saints have struggled, particularly in cover three, which, surprise, surprise, Saints defense struggles in cover three. Shocking. We've, we've never seen this before. Uh, but 14 of 17 passes over 100 yards and a touchdown against cover three. The Saints, though, not playing cover three as much as they usually do in the season. And this is what we had hoped for with the addition of Janoris Jenkins anyway. They've only run cover three 13% of the time. Uh, but then you also look at, and this is where I had to reach out to friends because I was not about to go and watch Lions tape for the first three weeks of the season. There was no way I was putting myself through that. I love y'all, but I'm not doing that to myself. Uh, But the Lions against cover three, uh, eight of 17 so far for 101 yards. So that's good news for the Saints defense in that even where they struggle, the Lions don't produce. The other thing that's good news for the Saints is that what they run against, what they run the most over on the defensive side, which is cover one, which they run around 30, 32% of the time in terms of what I've been able to catch on film. Uh, With the Lions, 17 of 26, 154 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Now this makes sense because most defenses that are in the, well, in the NFC North, but also that are across the NFL run a lot of cover one. Teams like cover one. They run the single high safety look all the time. Um, So just in terms of seeing the numbers, 26 passes, 17 yards for 154 yards. I'm sorry, 17 completions, though, for 154 yards is really good. That's less than 10 yards per catch. One touchdown, one interception. So that's good news for the Saints. And the other thing that's good for the Saints is that where the Lions have been most effective, which is cover six, 16 of 20, which is really good, uh, 216 yards and one touchdown. That's aided by a couple of big plays, of course. But on that cover six, you're talking about on the strong side of the offense, the defense is running cover four. On the weak side, they're running cover two. So the, the, uh, the, the, the deep zones are different. You have two people responsible for one half, one person responsible for one half, and then you have different looks in terms of your flats and your, your zone corners as well. So it, it's different there. But the Saints only run that 6.6% of the time. So that's good news in terms of how the Saints defense matches up against this, this, um, this Detroit offense. So I wanted to bring that up because I think that that's important to look at. And uh, one of the examples of how we talked about how um, last week Green Bay's defense fit very well in terms of like what the Saints wanted to do against them. It was a good matchup for the Saints. This week, we might finally see a moment to where the Saints defense has a good matchup, just fundamentally down to what are the numbers of what they run, what their style of play is versus where the Detroit Lions are successful or unsuccessful. This is a positive matchup for the Saints. We just need to see them execute. Is so the, these, is the big part of it. these are the two things for me. Number one, Matthew Stafford has gotten progressively better each week. Mm-hmm. Um, he played very, very well last week. Uh, he went from a 
6.2 rating week one to 119 mm-hmm. in week three. He got, you know, um, he has turned it over a couple times, only mm-hmm. uh, three, inter- three interceptions, uh, two interceptions, excuse me, this season, only five TDs. So it's not like mm-hmm. they've been dominating in the air, um, but he's been sacked nine times. So that yes. opportunity is there with this Lions offensive line. I also think that, you know, you look at, they relied too much on Adrian Peterson in my mindset. They give him 15 carries a game. He's getting decent yards, but yeah. the explosion isn't there. And they've let um, DeAndre Swift, who is a tremendous threat out of the backfield. Look Man. at his receiving numbers. He is a killer out of the backfield, and the Lions don't utilize him. So if the Lions maintain their stupidity on offense, the Saints' defense, yes, should absolutely – if you want to get well, this is the game you're it's supposed the game to, to do. do it. Yep, if that's they exactly don't, right. and like you said, we measure week to week, mm-hmm. this is a much different offense that you are facing than what you saw in Green Bay. It right. is not as skilled – Kenny Galladay will be there, but he's a little injured. He's coming off of an injury. Um, yeah, Danny Amendola is not a deep threat, really, but he's been solid. They do have a decent tight end. They do have a, 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 um, Marvin Jones is a Marvin very Jones. good receiver. Not a great one, but a very good one. Mm-hmm. But if they can get a consistent rush, the Lions will abandon the running game. They will quickly, mm-hmm. and, and it'll, they'll put it in Stafford's hands. Now, the only thing is, Matt Stafford has won three out of his last four against the New Orleans Saints. I know. The, the numbers between these two teams are wild. And the, one wow. loss for De- yeah. and the one loss for Detroit was that wild-ass game. 54-38. And that was 2017, 54-38, something like that. It was just a ridiculous yeah. shootout. Yep. You had the, the sack fumble, which here we are again talking about like something that the Saints could use is turnovers on sacks. So ideally they get Marcus Davenport back. Sean Payton said that they're hoping to get him back this week. I think that this was really only supposed to be a one or two week injury that just turned into a bigger concern. Otherwise they would have put him on injured reserve for the first three weeks and saved their roster spot, but they didn't do that. Uh, so I think that identifies that there was something unexpected going on in terms of what that injury is to some level. Um, but yes, so you have, a secondary that has a positive matchup here, just based, not even like, we'll, we'll talk a bit about Marshall and Lattimore, but you know, just in terms of fundamentally what they do versus what Detroit does. Yes. It is a good matchup for the secondary. A very good matchup. Yes. Yeah. It it's a be anyway, on paper. Yeah, right. It's a good matchup for the linebackers. Alex Anzalone played a great game against Green Bay. Demario Davis continues to be outstanding and earn his extension. Uh, I, he, he is becoming MVP so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's becoming one of those players where you're just kind of like, just win it for him, damn it. Like, just do it for him because he's out there doing it for you like crazy. Um, CJ Gardner-Johnson should have a good matchup here. I'm really excited to see CD Deuce matched up with Danny Amendola. Like, talk about a barometer for how quickly you've developed. You're going to be going up against one of the craftiest veterans in the NFL on the slot. I'm really excited to see that matchup. And then the defensive line versus the offensive line, particularly if they get, sorry, the Saints defensive line versus the Lions offensive line, particularly if the Saints get Marcus Davenport back. This is a great game for Marcus Davenport to come back to and get in rhythm because the Lions offensive line, as you've observed, which is also compounded by Matt Stafford wanting to go deep and therefore waiting for, uh, waiting for those deep passes to open up. That's a good matchup for the Saints defensive line. If you can get Marcus Davenport, who can win those singles, who can win those one-on-ones, if Cam Jordan is doing it. Because Cam Jordan's right. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think we're all disappointed a little bit in what we've seen from Cam Jordan so far with an understanding, you know, with an understanding attached to that. But Cam is right that 
he is getting double teamed or getting chipped. And so that means somebody else should be winning their one-on-one. He's He's right. That's every year. That's the whole point of his. That's why he doesn't get 18 sacks a lot. It's it's because he gets so much attention. Yeah, exactly. So I think if you get Marcus Davenport back and if he's healthy and can go at the level that you hope to see from him, then I think that that ends up helping him tremendously in terms of coming back in this game versus a very talented offensive line in Green Bay. On the, the, deep, the offensive side, the Lions, again, this should be a matchup that the Saints dominate, particularly, to me, it's go and run the football. Yes. Teams yes. are averaging almost six yards a carry against the Lions. They're rushing for 172 yards per game against the Lions. The Lions have given up over 500 rushing yards in three weeks. Run the dang football. This yes. team is 28th in the NFL in yards allowed, 26th in the NFL in points allowed. Yeah, they've allowed seven TD passes, but the reason they're giving up TD passes is because teams are running the ball. They have to bring everybody up. Yep. Desmond Trufant the- out. Yep. So you have their best corner is sitting down. Yep. There is, to me, you look at that, uh, this, the, the Lions defense, I don't see how the Saints – can't put up points if they do it's because they're again shooting them the mo- their own cells in the foot yes yeah yeah. the defense i'm sorry the saints offense loses this game only to the saints offense they do not lose this game to the detroit defense detroit had three interceptions last week and i think a lot of people will want to point that out but they were also going up against kyler murray who was making bad decisions and it's had Brees, that's what kyler murray's had three three interception games in less than two seasons i mean right. not even a season and a quarter right right that's a very young quarterback learning his system and a system that's predicated in taking risk. It's an air raid system. That's what they do. Uh, or it's a Cliff Kingsbury system. It's not really an air raid system, but you get it. Um, Drew Brees is not going to make the same decisions that Kyler Murray makes. Drew Brees is going to take what the, same, what, the uh, what the team is giving him. Even if the accuracy is still off, even if the ball placement is still off, he's still making safer choices that shouldn't amount to three interceptions in a game. Shouldn't. Uh, the other part of it is that the reason that the Detroit Lions are giving up all those rushing yards, Matt Patricia is trying to run a New England defense with Lions personnel. And outside of Jamie Collins, you ain't got anybody out there that can do it because Desmond Trufant is injured. Jeffrey Okuda is, a, is very talented, but he's a rookie who just got his first start week two. So he's also a game behind. So you have to keep all of that into consideration for why, this, why the Detroit Lions are giving up points. It's not a fluke. It's not something that they're just going to fix. They would have to change their entire style of play because they want to drop eight back in the coverage like the, like the, the uh, New England Patriots do. But you're not Bill Belichick. <laughs> you don't have those linebackers. You don't have that D-line. You don't have that right. secondary. <laughs> right. You can't do that. You can't. The New England Patriots are struggling to run a New England Patriots defense right now because of all of the same reasons that you just listed. You're not going to get that with Jamie Collins and the field. Like, that's not going to happen. And so I think that that's something else to keep into consideration is that the Saints should absolutely come into this game and run the ball. And you can do it with Latavius Murray early when they maybe expect the run. And so maybe they change their style of play a little bit. Go with Latavius Murray, who runs very well against eight-man boxes. He has run very well against eight-man boxes the entire time he's been in New Orleans. He was fantastic. One of the best in the NFL against it last year, according to the next-gen stats. He's been, I'm sorry, last year. He's been great uh, against it this year as well. The guy is just always falling forward or pushing a pile. That's what Latavius Murray does. Everybody always talks about a little bit of like, oh, well, you know, I missed the Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara dynamic to where Mark Ingram was a power runner. Latavius Murray is more of a power runner than Mark Ingram is. And if you didn't know that, go back and watch Monday night's game against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are light, light on defense. And I don't mean that they're lacking personnel. I just mean 
They're There's literally light. They're, exactly. Um, Latavius Murray can bully that type of a defense that doesn't have the same level of coaching as the Kansas City Chiefs and doesn't have you know the same level of offense as Kansas City Chiefs, of course, because that was ridiculous. But, and the Lions don't yeah. collapse the pocket either. This is a team mm. with only three sacks. They're right. not getting a rush. They're not putting up consistent pressure. You know, Mitch Trubisky was able to put up yards on them, and he's on right. the bench now. You know, their first three, they should have beaten uh, Chicago. They didn't do that. The, right. Week two, they lost to Green Bay. And then last week, they pull out a win. But that, that D-line, it's not because of the defense. They have not played nope. well at all there. And it's right. Stafford having to pull all this stuff out. And I think if the Saints make – they can absolutely make the lines one-dimensional defensively. And offensively, they sh- there's nothing they shouldn't be able to exploit. Every area of their defense – has something that the Saints can be successful at. Yep, absolutely. It's that whole thing. Like what we saw with Arizona last week with the Cardinals is that offense losing to itself, shooting itself in the foot with the turnovers and things like that. The Saints have to do the same thing next week on the offensive side. Don't commit turnovers, particularly in important situations. <laughs> and then you know, fourth, fourth quarter turnovers carry a weight that the first three quarters don't, of course. Second half turnovers more than the than the first half turnovers things like that and then you know we we didn't really go too much into it and i don't know that we really want to but cleaning up penalties over on the defensive side as well yeah that's just I mean, so obvious we, we don't yeah like i mean yeah, we, said, be, we said we said we had to say on it they, those right. are disciplined plays yes those are exactly discipline plays, and they can't do that whether it was the offense jumping when there was no one in the in- neutral zone how many times do you do offensive line coaches talk to their line like don't get up right don't right. get up. That's the other thing is that if you don't react, then that's a free play for the quarterback. And then if you don't react and they are in the neutral zone, it's a free play. If you don't react and they aren't in the neutral zone, you get to still run the play. <laughs> and we saw Aaron Rodgers take advantage of the Saints on that. Yep. At a very it's, crucial moment. And so, yeah, they just cannot do those things. But that's basic. We, we don't mm-hmm. need to beat the basics into the ground. Um, right. But what's weird, though, all of that being said, Mm-hmm. The Lions are five-point favorites. The Lions are five-point favorites. Are they? All of that being said. That shifted quick because I know the Saints were like minus three and a half to open. And right now I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it because it's, I'm looking at prediction. Wow. I, I have yeah. to check it. I don't know if this is the best one, but right now I'm looking at one, and it says Detroit plus five with uh, wow. a, a minus 110. Yeah, plus uh, plus plus five. They're giving five. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're they're down, the five, five yeah, underdogs. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm, right. I'm I'm reading it wrong. Sorry, You're my fault. Good. But five, that still seems a little light. The over is definitely going to get played. The Saints and the Lions always do the over. Yeah. What is the over for this one? Fifty-four. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of those things. Right. Like this is this is. This and then is this NFL weird, season. Right. This this is a weird matchup to where, like you said, these it's like watching the Saints and the Giants. Saints and the Giants always have wacky games. Saints and the Lions always have wacky games. Weird that it's in Detroit. This game is never in Detroit. It's always in New Orleans. There's a lot of things that are kind of strange about this game, but, uh, but not the least of which being that, like, yeah, that's a you, – you imagine people are going to take the over based on the history of these two teams. This is the end of what we call the first – you know, we separate the season in four quarters. Right. Two and two is not how we may have wanted it, but we all think – I think that we thought three and one was pretty likely that a loss mm-hmm. was going to happen in the first four. If they yep. escape this two and two – and finish the first half again around five and three. Right. I think the Saints are still in good position. This feels like a 10, 11, 12, 11 win team for me now, a 10 mm-hmm. or 11 win, not a 12, 13 win team. But that's fine too, because I don't think there are going to be a ton of teams in the NFC 
right. winning double-digit games this season. Yeah, and you also have the expanded playing field and everything in the playoffs as well. Like, and then you look at the Saints' next couple of matchups. So they come out of uh, they they come out of this game, and then they have what is it? Um, the Bears. They have Chicago, if I remember correctly. Not next. Uh, they, I think the Chargers. Right? The Chargers are before Chargers, that. Thank you. Yeah, they have the yeah. Chargers at home and another. And then on the road to the Bears, and on the road to, mm-hmm. to Carolina. Yeah. And so those are the three games that they'll play next, you know, Chargers, Panthers, Bears with the bye week in there and everything. Like they have good favorable matchups here coming up to the, the you know, through the next four games and everything. And so I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, you get through this two and two and you're in a really good position based upon the type of play and the type of talent that you've seen, the type of execution that you've seen early on in the season. Two and two is a fine place to be. And I, you know, like the Green Bay game was a question, one that I had a kind of question mark about even when things were going well before the season. You know what I mean? And so I, I'm not upset with a two and two start. I would be really shocked by a one and three start. And I think you start asking a lot of questions at that point, just in terms of like, okay, what is the new, what does this team need to do in terms of understanding its limitations and building around it at that point? Because then you have to really sort of make a bit much larger evaluation based on the first quarter of the season. Um, prediction. I mean, Saints win in my mind, but I think it, I think it's close because we just, ha- yeah. it, because we haven't seen them play a clean game yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that you all of a sudden come out of the gate here and have a clean game. And in fact, if you do come out and have a clean game, a lot of questions about consistency should come up, things like that. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore has, is allowing right now a perfect 158.3 passer rating when targeted 10 of three passes. I'm sorry, 10 of 12 passes have been completed going his direction of primary coverage. I think that he's a big key for your defense. He's had some lapses in man coverage, which were, you know, the Alan Lazard touchdown was a prime example of that. Not even the deep pass, just near the line of scrimmage to where Alan Lazard ran past him four or five yards before he reacted to the fact that he was in coverage. Uh, So there's a couple of lapses and things like that that have been going on. So I think that Marshawn Lattimore is an important piece to watch in this game. And the way that Marshawn Lattimore goes may dictate the way that this defense goes. If he has trouble, then I, I agree. It's a high-scoring game that stays close, but the Saints can pull it out because the offensive matchup for this team is just so much better. But if everything goes well, and not even to a point where everything goes perfectly, but if everything goes well, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a 27-10 to 10 type of a win if the Saints can play well enough because they keep the ball on the ground, which we know is what's going to be most effective against Detroit and put some points up on the board. And if the defense is able to take advantage of its matchup the way that it should, then it could limit the team. But I have, that's, that's with the caveat of everything going nearly perfectly well. Otherwise I think you're looking at something that's a little bit more akin to like 38, 32, something like that. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah, seeing where they are after the one quarter mark, I'm not panicked. I look at the division two. It's a good thing that this division nobody's going to run away with it. Atlanta's mm-hmm. Atlanta is falconing it up as best they can. Oh my goodness! Um, but I will say this before we we bounce. I am impressed with what Carolina is doing. Me I am too. Mm-hmm. That defense has been much better than I expected it to be. They're not dynamic yet. They're not flashy, but they have done a solid job in keeping themselves in every game that they have played. And now, especially without Christian McCaffrey the last week and a half, they're still able to put up 20 plus points. And Teddy is not making mistakes. He's spreading the ball Mm -hmm. around. I don't think that they're going to destroy anybody, but that's no longer a game where you thought it's a guaranteed win for the Saints. And and the Saints going to Carolina is always a problem. Doesn't matter who's been there. Yep. Going to Carolina has yeah. always been a problem. 
Yeah, I don't think we can write off Carolina as much as maybe we anticipated with a brand new head coach, brand new quarterback, brand new offensive coordinator, and without Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I think that when you take all that into consideration, you expect that you're going to be able to just completely write off this team. That's not been the case. And can I just say, Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect quarterback for this system right now because he ran that Saints offense. He knows how to work in that Saints offense. Joe Brady is running a version of the Saints offense, so everything is clicking there. The relationship with Matt Rule, of course, all of that has been a big part of it. The receivers are showing up. The you know Mike Davis showed up in in response to Christian McCaffrey being out. Like everybody's playing their role and everybody's doing well. Like you mentioned, the defense is playing uh, better than anticipated as well. I'm loving Carolina. Like I love seeing what Carolina is doing, and there are a lot of they're far more exciting and a lot more uh, further along down the process than I thought they would be. Yeah, I mean they have to be optimistic um, mm-hmm. at this point, and I think honestly we're still not really seeing progression out of Tampa Bay. They have not no. looked different to me from week to week. And right. when you hear Rob Gronkowski, I'm sorry, when he says he's a blocker, I'm just, that just throws me off <laughs> tremendously when he's now that he's saying I came out of retirement to be a blocker. And I just don't, I don't see where Brady has added something different to them at this yeah. point. Maybe yeah, it's just, and they're, yeah, no, but they're also having a lot of health issues over on the offensive side, which is not going to help them at all either. You know what I mean? I'm not making an excuse for them. I'm yeah. just saying like that's not going to help them get to any place where they have the ability to further their process or anything like that. Because if Chris Godwin's going to keep missing games, you imagine Mike Evans is having, you know, still dealing with the hamstring, things like that. Like that's not going to help this team at all in terms of progressing and moving further in terms of their rhythm. They're winning games, but I feel like they're also winning games a lot because they're playing against teams. I mean, they've had some favorable matchups. You know they lucked I mean? out against Tampa. I mean, against Carolina. I think they, yeah. they, that was a game they should have lost. Yeah. Uh, so they easily should be one, could be one and two. Uh, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, nobody's going to run away with this division. I just don't see it. And, if the Saints get right, you'd still make them the favorite in my mind. If they get it right, and it's not about, yeah. it, it, it's not now we're just throw top five defense out of the out of the out of the the thought process. Now you just yeah, want to top no, twelve. Can we get to twelve that area? Right, <laughs> middle of the pack. Right. And, and just at least do that. Um, but I, this ain't yeah. gonna be a top five defense <laughs> this season. I just don't see no. that. No. Not at all. Not, not in, not in more than one category. You know, you might find them there in run defense. They're still playing pretty well in one deep run defense, but as a top five overall team and scoring and yardage, nah, but that's okay. That's okay. okay. If the offense can get right. Yeah. If the offense can get right and the defense can be serviceable, you can win with that model. Eliminate. In fact, most, most teams do. (laughs) If you get rid of the turnovers, get rid of penalties, you know, do those simple things. This team has enough to still win a good number of games and, the main thing is there will be three or four times this year when Drew Brees looks like Hall of Fame Drew Brees. But right. the, the logistics of it just tell you he's going to have to understand that he's not that guy for 15 games. He's not that guy. And that's fine. Right. You just have to adapt. When a pitcher loses his fastball, he's got to throw more change-ups. He's got to throw more curves. So Drew Brees just right. has to figure out what his adaptation is going to be. And the Saints have to manufacture – at least one or two attempts down. You can't go a whole game and have zero. Yeah, attempts. you gotta. Yeah, you gotta have something. I don't care who throws the damn ball. Just try. You be, be Alvin Kamara for all I care. You be Emmanuel Sanders for all I care. Like somebody, you got to do something that pushes. And this the is ball a deep. perfect week again to reintegrate some play action. The yep. Lions are going to be biting at the run game. They are going to be trying to stop that. And 
that I think that leaves a lot of one-on-one opportunities on the outside for the Saints to take advantage of. We'll see. Man, um, yep. always great. Wednesday is, all, is one of my favorite days of the week because we get to do this. Yep. Uh, tell the folks what you're working on and all the places, again, that they can find you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Of course, uh, the Locked on Saints podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, but it doesn't matter. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're everywhere. And then uh, we also are doing some work over at Canal Street Chronicles. A lot of film study going on over there all throughout the week to we're breaking things down in terms of Saints passing offense versus you know, opponent run defense or, or sorry, opponent passing defense, things like that. Uh, and I've been doing an interesting thing week by week to where I've been breaking down the rotations of the defensive line, uh, which has been really fun to do and looking at how many different formations, how many different configurations of defensive linemen the Saints have been using and how effective they've been. So I'm really enjoying doing all that. And then I'll have my five questions article out tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, Locked on Saints every single Monday through Friday. Folks, we will be back next Wednesday with more on the Dome Patrol with reactions from Sunday's game against the Lions. Um, We're hoping for a good one. Um, Until then. You know, you can check this one out. Like I said, follow Ross and check out our boys. Check out Nick Underhill. Subscribe to his site. Yes, please. Please check out um, Brian uh, Bienemy and Nader Murphy as tonight um, they do their uh, sports overtime pod live. So check them out. Uh, There's just a lot of local folks doing great work and please support them. Uh, And, and, you know, there's no competition. We don't do this for competition. We do this just to give the fans um, as much information and as much enjoyment as they could possibly have when they watch their games. So for Ross Jackson, I am David Ruff. This is Gimmick going to be hard to make. We'll talk to you next week.